truck at all. I think we just found a transformer. This is Optimus Prime Rebuttal, leader of the Auto Part Junkies. And I'm calling on all Auto Parts Junkies to listen to Nostalgic Radio and Cars every Tuesday at 7 p.m. here on Tan Talk. This is Optimus Primer Button. If you don't tune in, it will be the end of the world. Don't turn it off now. You need this stuff. Tampa Bay's Tan Talk Radio Network. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make their bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. The United States, as the world knows, will never start a war. We do not want a war. We do not now expect a war. This generation of Americans has already had enough, more than enough, of war and hate and oppression. The Vietnam conflict is America's largest, costliest, and most mysterious war. Vietnam, the 10,000-day war. Be careful, though. At the 30th of month uh, out there, and you make contact, you'll have a fight on your hands. Black masses, evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning, as the war machine keeps turning, death and hatred to mankind. Wash my hands. Oh, Lord, yeah. 
I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Tonight on Nostalgic Cars and Radios, it's... No, it's Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Oh, yeah, that's right. Hey, this is Ted Nugent celebrating the American dream on Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers. Run, run, run. run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studio. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, Gulfstream Motorsports and Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and visit our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Is that right? Did I say it right, Bobby? That is right. <laughs> it's amazing how in the middle of a, a dialogue, your, your mind can just go beep, blank. But anyway, oh yeah, and don't forget, if you've been any of our past shows, you can uh, visit our podcast page, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. How you doing tonight, Bobby? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Yeah, it's been a while. I was gone for a week. I was out there at SEMA in Las Vegas. Oh yeah, welcome to our little... Dark studio here. In <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just amazing. Whenever I go out west, I just like, uh, well, because I'm from out there, I love the dry climate. I come here, and I step off an airplane, and it's like somebody greeted me with a bucket of water. You know, <laughs> you know, you guys had a lot of rain and humidity while I was gone. But it's and, comfortable in here. Yeah, it's comfortable <laughs> here because we have air conditioning. Meanwhile, out there, we had what I call, jokingly, I said, we had a nice, dry, cool air. Dry, cold air. Dry, cold air. You know, you always hear me say... It's uh, a dry heat. Well, they have a dry cold out there as well. And believe me, it doesn't go through you. You know, if you're up in the northeast, north, uh, you know, Michigan area, New England, uh, you know, even in the Carolinas, you know, in the wintertime, that cold just... That dampness just goes right through you. It just goes right to your bones. Yeah, I think that angry car guy would agree with you. The angry, that, that the, angry, the angry car guy would agree with me, yeah. And then, of course, you know, when you're out west, it's just dry, and it just it's cool or it's hot, but it's not. it doesn't go through you. It's it's It can be uncomfortable, but not nearly as bad as the dampness. The dampness really gets to you. Now, I want to uh, wish all our veterans a happy Veterans Day because tomorrow is Veterans Day, right, Bobby? Yes, it is. So we're going to kind of do a little tribute to uh, all the men and women in uniform. And uh, in a little bit, we're going to have a good friend of mine come on. He is uh, not only a car guy, real serious car guy. He's in the Shelby's and Boss Mustangs and Cobras and cool stuff like that. But he's also a uh, former Vietnam vet. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about Vietnam. Uh, we played a little clip there at the beginning of the show. Um, what did we play? We, we played War Pigs. From, yes, yeah. Uh, Warp. That was uh, from where? Ozzy Osbourne, right? Or was yes. that Black Sabbath? Black Sabbath, yes. That was back in the Black Sabbath, before Ozzy went on his own. And when, uh, let's see, I think Iommi is still a guitarist back in the day for Black Sabbath. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's, we're, we're coming. We actually, we're going to play a bunch of songs tonight. We're going to play a lot of songs that were kind of popular during the Vietnam era. And uh, I am certainly not a proponent of war. I understand that there may be a time or two when you need war, but unnecessary wars like corporate wars, which is what we've been going through since uh, the last century, um, is needless, you know, because they know. My attitude is this, and I can say this because this is my radio show. Those corporate guys, those politicians, all those guys that want those wars should suit up with their defective uniforms, their defective gear, and go over there and fight the front themselves. Right, Bobby? Because right. I'm not going to take my only son and send him to some foreign country five, six, seven thousand 7,000 miles away and have him brought home in a box. Now, we were going to play Country Joe McDonald's 
the fish song. But I don't know if I have an edited version of it. But uh, And it pretty much sums it up. Oh, what the hell. Give me an F. Give me a U. Okay, that's just a taste. Uh, back to the show and more anti-Vietnam stuff. If you guys remember Woodstock in 1969, uh, which was a pretty bitch and deal back in the day, it was basically it was a anti-Vietnam, make love, not war, cool concert, and it was kind of a pig fest, really, because it got uh, pretty out of control up there. But at any rate, Bobby, what have we got queued up here? Let's just play something that's uh, we want to hear a, part of our Vietnam playlist for tonight. Yeah, let's. Uh, what do we got in our Anti-Vietnam playlist. For this well, evening. first off, we got a little CCR. CCR. Run right, through right. the jungle. Run through the jungle. You know, that was actually a, a popular song in the, in the movie Air America, I think is what it was. Hey, while we're doing this, Bob, why don't you go ahead and get our guests on the phone. And uh, we'll bring our, a good buddy on. This is actually one of my favorite CCR songs. And uh, so that's pretty cool. Run through the jungle. Hey, you're tuning into Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't touch that dial. We will be right back. Salute to all the veterans, the men and women in uniform.
Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make their bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Largo Road, near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. the morning. You know, one time we had a hail bomb for 12 hours. When it was all over, I walked up. We didn't find one of them, not one stinking big body. Smell. You know, that gasoline smell. The whole hill. Smells like You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and that was just a little clip from Apocalypse Now. And uh, we didn't want to get into the dreadful stuff, so we played a little humorous part there. That was a clip with uh, Robert Duvall when they were landing on the beach, and they were getting ready to, because he was a surf dude, and uh, they were kind of like, uh, you know, clearing the way there so they could get out and uh, shoot a few curls. But anyway, hey, it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman is uh, well-known in the... Shelby World. He's also a good friend of mine, and he's probably one of the uh, 
longest attending or is the longest attending Shelby club member in our in our whole organization. I'm delighted to welcome to the show this evening uh, Ken Young, and he's also a former veteran of Vietnam. And uh, happy Veterans Day to you, Ken, and welcome to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hey, good evening, Robert, and I sm- I love the smell of napalm in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you could tell us some real stories about that, right? Well, you told me to keep it clean. All right, well, keep it clean. I mean, you know, um, well, I'll tell you what. Let's segue into, uh, let's talk a little bit about the cars a little bit, because you're a big Shelby guy. And then we can talk a little bit about the uh, the, uh, the 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 Vietnam days, you know. Sure. So, so now you, you, you've you been a member of SAC. Actually, you were before SAC. You were uh, Shelby, um, is it Shelby Automobile Club? Is that what it was first? Uh, SOA, Shelby Owners, or, uh, Shelby Owners Group, right? whatever, or Shelby Owners, SOA. SOA, okay, yeah. Uh, Shelby Owners Association. That's it, that's it. That's it, that's it. Okay, yeah. So, uh, uh, when did you get your first Shelby? Oh, boy. Let's see. Oh, well, I, I had it up until three summers ago, and that was 42. So, if we're 45 years ago, I think I bought the first one. 45 years ago? Well, that would be 1970. Yeah, it sounds about right. Wow. Okay. And what did you have? You had a 65 or 66? I bought a 66 Shelby uh, from a street racer in uh, Appleton, Wisconsin. And uh, he was a rather large fellow, and uh, he had ridiculous gearing in the back. I think it was 556 rear rear gears. And for he, he liked to drink, and for a round of drinks, he would go out in the street, rev up the car, and lift the front tires off the ground if he could get a round of drinks. What a character. Wow. Okay, so he had it definitely set up for drag racing. No question about that. Absolutely was. It was a it was a fun little car. Uh, was it a high numbered car, or low number serial numbered car? Uh, it was eight eight nine. So early car for sixty six, mid earlys, you know. Okay. What color was it? A factory candy apple red with the white stripes. Interesting. Did that car have? So you were an eight hundred series. Was that a uh, overrider suspension car in the back? Yes, override traction bars, and it did have the front suspension modified as well. Okay, like a 65. Did it have a steel hood or a fiberglass hood? Do you remember? Uh, I believe it was the fiberglass hood. Okay. I'm trying to track because I had serial number uh, 548, which was a steel hood car, overriders. It was a Hertz car, factory four-speed car with that goofy uh, brake master cylinder on it. And obviously, the the like a carryover car it had the front lower suspension, the, the one inch drop, and then I'm, and your car was eight hundred, so you're three hundred away. And I also had sixteen sixty six, and that was also a Hertz car. And of course, when I got it, it came out of Wisconsin, it, or not Wisconsin, it came out of Minnesota, and um, it was a fiberglass hood car, but it had the the standard stock suspension underneath it. So I'm trying to figure out where the cutoff was. You know, eight hundred, eight nine. You were real close to nine hundred then. Exactly. Okay. And uh, how many other Shelby's did you have in the meantime? Well, I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say that over my my extreme long lifetime here, I have had 33 Shelby automobiles. No, I'm, that's great, really. So what are some of the other cool <laughs> Shelby's you had? I had two of the factory R models, um, I think 101 and uh, 095, or two of the factory uh, factory race versions. I had uh, two of the 66 Shelby convertibles of the four built. I had the green one and the blue one. I had a Trans Am car. I had a 427 Cobra, and I think I had three 289 Cobras. 
Wow. So you did have cobras. Good for you. Now, yeah, in the good old days. Yeah. And now, along with those Shelbys and cobras and stuff, you also had a slew of parts. Tell us about some of the parts you had. Oh, good heavens. Uh, it's a long story, but Jeff Berge is the other fellow who's been to every Shelby convention for the last 43 years. And I visited him possibly back in the 70s, and he was living in the Detroit area at the time. And uh, he took me into his, his guest room, and the wall was full of aluminum parts, wheels, valve covers, oil pans, intake manifolds, and all Shelby Cobra stuff. I was just so blown away. I went home, and I started collecting that stuff. And it was ridiculous. After a while, I had like a room full of extra tires, wheels, valve covers. Anything that Shelby made had his name on it. I bought one or two of everything. Now, would you call that a... Uh a sickness, I, I, and and I say that loosely because it's 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 a disease that I have, <laughs> you had Jeff Berge, who I know real well had, and a whole bunch of other Shelby guys. Yeah, and I have to say, you know, it was uh, like uh, borderline hoarding at the time. But when I finally sold it to other collectors, it it was very financially rewarding. Well, yeah, I would imagine you know over forty five years, the value of those parts have gone up substantially. And in here recently, especially. What are some of the rarest parts that you've ever run across that you had? Uh, I had some, I had a new old stock, a brand new, never used, uh, finned aluminum cobra, cobra lettered uh, dry sump uh, pump cover for 427 Cobra dry sump. And as a matter of fact, I just found another one in my barn this summer. I have another one laying around. Oh, I really? Had some cobra, yeah, I had a Cobra lettered fuel pump, which is pretty rare. Uh, I had all of the Shelby stuff, too, which is, I think, later on in Shelby's arsenal. Uh, instead, he took the Cobra name off and used the Shelby name. And he had developed covers, the intake, the oil pan, you know, a complete match and set over, collected over the years. Now, somewhere along the line, you mentioned Cobra and Shelby. Carol sold the name Cobra to Ford, right? That's correct. Okay, and then he kind of, like, got out of it a little bit. During that interim, let's just say from, like, the late 60s, early 70s, when he sold the Cobra name, not Cobra Jet. I don't think he had Cobra Jet, but he had the name Cobra, right? Am I correct on my history? Well, I I don't think he was. He could use the name Cobra. Ford used it, you know, some of their little, they're laughing, their, their Mustang 2s. They made a, a Cobra version, you know, with the, okay. the tape stripe on the hood. But, uh I, I think he basically gave up the use of the word Cobra for, for a long time. Okay. But Shelby he retained, right? Yes. Yeah, Shelby. Uh, I'm trying to think if he had... Uh, I think it was just the Shelbys that he used the most for his aftermarket and his uh, over-the-counter sales stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you have a lot of uh, other memorabilia, or did you have, I mean, like a lot of the catalogs and, and, and signs and things of that nature? Oh, uh, back in the day, I had all of the postcards and the uh, the foldouts and the ordering forms and the delivery forms. Uh, anything I could find, I would buy. I mean, it was just uh, it was just reams and reams of paperwork as well. Did you? Uh, I don't remember, but uh, this year at the uh, SAC meet in at the Poconos, did you? Didn't you receive a special award? <laughs> yeah, Jeff and I. Well, we we brought them back. I don't know what is it? Thirty, thirty or forty years ago, they had a all-time convention attendance award 
that they prevent, pre- presented to Jeff and I, and it was a, a big, uh, uh, the cobra flared head. It was red, white, and blue. It was all hand-carved. I think Peter De Silva helped carve that, he and Kopech at the time. And uh, we walk up to the stage to get it, and we were looking at each other. Well, there's only one. Huh. We get up to the podium, and it was cut in half, so they each gave us half of it. And uh, we were to keep it, uh, each keep our half until the other fellow missed the convention, and we had to give our half, or whoever missed first had to give the half to the other fellow. Well, after 40 years, I guess they figured, or 30 years, whatever it was, they, they brought us back together and brought both halves together, and they reunited them, and then... Uh, uh, the the tradition's over. So Rick was afraid one of us would die before the other one would quit coming to convention. So uh, <laughs> both halves are now together in a collection in a museum in in Detroit. Really interesting. Which museum in Detroit? Ah, uh, geez, you know Jeff is more tuned to it. Uh, it's a fellow who's starting another little Shelby collection museum up in the Detroit area. Mm-hmm. Nice fellow. I talked to. He was at Pocono this year. Okay. What um, of the of the Shelbys that you had? Let's just talk Shelby Mustangs. So you basically had anything from a '65 to a '69, or did you stay '65, '66 predominantly? Yeah, I was pretty much a purist. Uh, my first my first one I ever bought was a '68 GT350. I found at a Ford dealer in Milwaukee. That one had to be probably, and I was still in college, so that had to be in the late '60s. And uh, then the, the '889 came along. And uh, but uh, I think the newest I've ever had was a, a '68. I had mostly '65, '66s, and a few '67. Were you uh, partial to the four-speed cars? Yeah, I didn't care. I, I was partial to the first two years. The fives and sixes, I were my favorites. The right, the right size. The right, you could throw them around the corner. You could drive them with the gas pedal. They were the most fun. They were the most fun. Yep, they were the true uh, the originals. Okay, how about Cobras? Uh, let's see. The first one I bought was a, a fella I was going to school with his mother. I guess he, he ran away. She bought him a Volkswagen or something. And I had to babysit the 29 Cobra for a year. And, uh, I helped her sell it. So I got the, actually, I, I was saying, you know, I had great, <laughs> great visitation. I had it for a year, drove it and enjoyed it. And we sold it to a fellow in Minnesota. And I don't know what happened to that one. That was a beautiful little 29 Cobra. Uh, the 427 Cobra I had, I bought from Mike Gaffney in Indiana. That was a wreck. A fellow in Wisconsin, again, uh, he and his sister were in a very bad accident. I think they T-boned a Buick or something in it. And the car was destroyed from the windshield forward. And uh, over the years, I, I had the chassis fixed and collected all the parts to rebuild that car. That car is now on display at the Larry Miller Museum in Salt Lake City at his track. It was the first Cobra that Larry ever bought. Oh no, kidding! Was that a street car or or uh, an SC car or? Yeah, it was a, a street car. I think it was thirty two oh two. It was the last last car built, I think, with the twenty nine taillights. Oh, okay, and uh, so it, now see a lot. Of the The misconception is a lot of people think that those cars all had four twenty sevens in them. Many of them came with the street four twenty eights in it, right? Yeah, there was a shortage of engines, and they were expensive. They put some four twenty eights. This was a. A 427 block in this particular car, if I remember correctly. Okay. And then two four barrels on it, you know. Okay. So was it a wide hip car, narrow hip car, wide front end, narrow front end? Which? Um, 30. I I uh, I think it was probably the bulbous rear, so it was like the narrow hip, but uh, 
the real the white you know they were to cover those big wheels right so it had the sunburst on it or did uh, it have hella were, yeah i think they were factory sunburst correct okay and how many how many big block carbers did you have uh that was the only big block oh that was the only big block okay so you had yeah. 289 cars uh, yeah, the other 29 I found, I was in graduate school, and I, I was, I'm was i also a hot rodder. I've, always, I've had hot rods all my life. And I was talking to a fellow out in the West Coast, another hot rodder, and he knew of a 29 Cobra, and I contacted that fellow, and it was, had been damaged, and they put a fiberglass body on it. I think that was 2506, serial number. And uh, Jim Coles and I drove my truck and trailer out to the West Coast and <clears throat> excuse me, loaded it up and hauled it back to Wisconsin. Oh, no kidding. Now, Jim Coles has a place up in, he's in Green Bay, so he's, uh, what's the name of his company, Cobra Restorers? Or, uh, no? Shelby Parts and Restoration. Shelby Parts and Restoration, yeah. He's uh, pretty well a legend in his little world, too, isn't he? Oh, man, he 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 is like a a bloodhound when it comes to finding rare parts. He, he does find all kinds of NOS parts. He remanufactures uh, rare items. He has a, quite a facility outside of Green Bay there. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Now, who else is big time in uh, in Green Bay, or I mean in the uh, Wisconsin? You got, uh, um, what's his name? Robert uh, begins with a P. I can't remember his last name. He's over in Madison. Uh, uh, oh, let's see, let's see. Let's well, we know George I, uh, George Stauffer, Stauffer, Stauffer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, George has had some of the cream of the cream of the Shelby collection stuff. Yeah, he's at GT40s, Cobras. I, I've not seen George for a year, so I know he's still out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't think of Robert's name right now. It escapes me, but I know he had a very rare collection of Ford stuff. Matter of fact, he's got a huge memorabilia collection, doesn't he? Oh, are you talking about, um, uh, yeah, brain fade here, too, as well. Uh, <laughs> Bob Perkins. Perkins, Bob Perkins, that's it, Bob Perkins. Yeah, yeah. there's a plug for Mo- him. Mostly Mustangs, yeah. He's got more Mustangs than anything, but, yeah, he's uh, the same thing. He's got a, his shop is just full of unique and rare stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, who else is big in Shelby's up your way? Dirk is Dirk from Wisconsin or Minnesota? Dirk Astolin. He's right over, right over on the on the, on the, count, on the state line. Yeah, Dirk Astolin. He's uh, he's got my old Aurora. I bought an Aurora Cobra. It's the one that was built in Canada, a facsimile of a two eighty nine, and uh, it was fiberglass car, but it was an EPA and DOT car, very well built cars. I don't know how many they made, but Dirk bought that for me, and he converted that back into it looks like a two eighty nine. Took off the side marker lights and. All of the EPA stuff, and it's just a beautiful little 29 Roadster, but it's an Aurora uh, car. And I don't know, he's got quite a collection, and he sold a bunch of stuff off. He still has Shelby's and Mustangs and, and some hot rods yet. Mm-hmm. Does that pretty much wrap up everybody in Wisconsin, all the big players like you? Yeah, everybody that I knew on the, on the, on the eastern side of Wisconsin, there's some other people there that have some really huge collections. Huh, interesting. Well, now you're down here, you're in Florida, sweating it out with the rest of us right now, right? Yeah, I'm a snowbird. I just got down here a week ago. Okay, so you're down South Florida there, having a good time. Yep, enjoying life every minute of it. Okay, well that's good. Why don't we jump over since it's Veterans Day? Let's talk a little bit about uh, Vietnam. Now, for some people it's easy to talk about, for some people it's not. But I think you do okay because we had a little discussion while we were up there at the Poconos. So, how did uh, how did you get? Uh, um, I don't know what's the best way to say that. Basically, uh, how'd you how'd you wind up over there? It's kind of a kind of a different story. Uh, I'm one of those few people I knew the draft was on, and I was in college. But I just I had a gut feeling that it was my generation's war, and I just thought I should go see what it's all about, rather than listen to all of the protesters and 
everything that was going on at the college campuses at the time. So I just went down and enlisted. You just went down and enlisted. Now, the draft was going on. For for our listeners that don't know how the draft worked back in the day, how did kind of give us a little short synopsis of it? Uh, yeah, the the, the, Fed, the federal government had a, a big lottery board, and they pulled numbers out on your birth date. And if they pulled out a number that was on your birth date, and it was a low number, you were going to go. If you if you're they picked out a number like you know in the three hundreds, three sixties, you probably weren't going to go. Uh, and it all depended on your birth date and the number that the federal government associated with that birth date. Hmm, interesting. I never really understood how it worked, but uh, I know in 1973 or whenever it was, when I turned 18 or 74, whenever it was, um, that was kind of the tail end. But what year did you end up going over there? I went in the Army in 1966. I went to, let's see, I went to Vietnam in 67. Okay. And, uh, I was uh, because I had some college. Uh, it was kind of a benefit. Uh, I, I was a grunt, but I was a military advisor, which meant I had a little bit better rank and a better job. So, uh, I wasn't in the, in the mud and the blood all the time. Okay. Did you get to see some frontline exposure? Yeah, I got shot up, shot up a few times. Uh, I got actually, I think the first thirty days I was there, I stepped on a punji stick, which is you know a piece of bamboo that they. They sharpened like a like a razor blade, and uh, you know they gave us the boots with the with a steel mesh in the bottom. So if you stepped on them, they wouldn't get hurt. But, uh, these, the old Charlie was pretty ingenious. He'd put it at an angle. You'd step on it, and your foot would go down at an angle, and these uh, the bamboo would enter in the side of your foot. These are nylon nylon and leather boots at the time, and of course the bamboo would go right through the nylon, get me in the side of my foot. Ouch! So how long were you out of action there? Well, in those days, they you know they patch you up, and I, I never even left the country. Oh. Uh, luckily, it was monsoon season; it was rainy season because you know they like to put uh, some nasty stuff on the, on the bamboo that uh, would you know give you an infection. But because it was rainy season, most of it was washed off, so they just pulled it out of my ankle and bandaged me up. I think I was I was back in the, uh, maybe two days. I was out of the field. Give us your take politically on your on your thoughts, and you know, like what did people, what was going people's mind? Other soldiers, obviously, when you're down there and you're in the trenches with everybody else, you know, there's discussions that go on. And of course, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not a fan of war. I don't think it's necessary. And so, I, there's a time for war, and but when a war becomes a political joke, okay. And I'm and and I hope I'm not stepping out of line here. Correct me if I am. But, you know, when you when you find out after the fact how things work, no different than the Gulf War and stuff that's going on now, you know, when you go when you when you get in a fight, the objective is to win. When you go in there and you prolong it, then, you know, it's just simply for corporate interests and monetary interests and to keep the military industrial and, and military industry kind of, you know, floating around and for them to play with their little toys at the expense of human soldiers, human guys, Americans. And that's where I kind of take issue. So did you guys in the trenches have those same feelings? Uh, I guess after, after you're there a while, you, you see what's going on. You know, you, you keep your eyes open. And uh, it was run out of Washington, D.C. by people who had no idea what the hell was going on. Uh, you know, and some of these fresh, green second lieutenants, uh, you know, they were, they were over there in a hurry. They didn't have time to get any practical experience. They just dumped them in the field. And, you know, they made a lot of stupid decisions. Uh, some of the old master sergeants that were, you know, the grisly old, sergeants they were the guys that were running the show in the field they were there before uh, some of them were from uh, korea veterans 
And uh, but unfortunately, it was all it was all politics. Uh, I'd say ninety percent politics. It was awful. Everything was body count, and uh, you can't go over that line over there because uh, it might be Cambodia or Thailand or something. You know, it was just ridiculous. I mean, if you, you find out where the enemy is and you kill him, that's what we're not doing today. It's so you guys were. How did you feel though? I mean, and and all right, let me back up for a second. How long was a tour back in those days? It's one year. One year. So most guys just tried to get through the tour, the one year, and then they were out of there. Or how many people ended up going back? Uh, yeah, you had your date of uh, what did I, I forgot? Deros. I forgot what it stood for. Date of going back to the states, and it was a countdown. So the whole idea, once you got short, when you had you know x amount of days left, you had to be careful. You want to go home. You don't want to go home in a bag. You're just, you you got a little more careful. But uh, it was just, uh, I, 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 it's just politics. It was just ridiculous the way they ran the thing. It was just, you know, they wouldn't let, you couldn't go to certain places. Like in Tet- I was there in Tet Offensive in 68. And like in the beginning when they overran the way, the original Imperial City in northern, uh, north South Vietnam, they couldn't go in there because of the historical buildings and this and that, which they finally rescinded later on, a week later, but. You know, you know where the enemy is, you take them out. That's, I mean, that's the way to run the war. But, you know, you can't go here, you can't go, oh, there's a church over there, there's a school. It, it was just ridiculous. You know, let let the guys who know what they're doing do the job and get the press out of the front line is, is the big deal. Did they have, was rules of engagement, that term, was that used back in those days too? Did that exist? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There were restrictions on just about everything. So, you know, it's it's unfortunate because it never really kind of hit the media until, let's say, the Gulf War when they started with this nonsense. Oh, rules of engagement, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't shoot back right. even if you're being fired on. So basically it did exist in Vietnam too, but we never heard much about it. It, Like I said, the Gulf War and the first and second, you know, nonsense that's going on right now. So you guys basically experienced that as well. And that basically compromised many young Americans, didn't it? I believe it did, right? They'd, they'd order you to do something stupid that if you had any brains, you'd say, oh, that's not a good idea. Let's rethink this, this, this move or this operation. But, you know, we were just grunts, and you did what you were told. Of the movies that have, been, that have come out over the last 40, 50 years, really, it's been that long, you know, over 50 years since Vietnam started, you know, in the early 60s. Of the movies that have come out, how does a Vietnam vet feel when he watches that movie? And you know, and how much? And of the movies, which one is closest to the truth? Well, I don't know. I've seen most of them. Uh, they're all Hollywood. They all seem to have a point of view or a slant. Uh, you know, uh, I do have a little diminished memory. Uh, I can't. I can't say whichever one was really terrific. I'm sure. I, yeah, as soon as I get off the phone, I'll remember them. But at the moment. Uh, they were all interesting, but, you know, they're, it's Hollywood. You have to remember that. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as, let's say, for example, you know, a lot of stuff that went on in the trenches, and let's say, for example, a lot of the, the confrontation that went on between, you know, uh, platoons, superior officers, you know, and then, uh, you know, the, the, the infighting that was going on. I mean, and I'm going to use the movie as platoon as an example because we have a little clip coming up here in a little bit um, when uh, Taylor, who was played by Martin Sheen, shot... Tom Berenger at the very end because he basically did a lot of stupid things and a lot of guys got killed because of his decisions, you know. And then you look at a movie like uh, 
what was it, Forrest Gump, you know? And, uh, you know, that's another one. And, 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 you know, it's the same thing. There was a lot of truth in it, but it didn't, it didn't, it didn't depict what I perceived to be a little bit more on the truthful side because it was more, that was more, uh, a, a friendly type movie, you know. It didn't. It showed some of the hardcore stuff on, but not, not the real, the 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 the, the real agony that you guys went through as a soldier. Because you guys were young. You're 17, 18, 19 years old. You're in a third world country. You're thousands and thousands of miles away. You're you've got equipment that you don't even know that it works half the time. And like you said, you stepped on one of those little pookie sticks, and it's, and they get smart. It goes through the side, not your sole, uh, your shoe. I mean, you guys were basically at, at you know, and you're fighting guerrilla warfare, which is something else we were not used to doing up until Korea and Vietnam. So, uh, of of the movies, which one, like I said, outside of Platoon, I think is fairly good, and then um, you know the other ones just uh, I don't know. Like you said, they're Hollywood. Uh, the one I saw again recently is We Were Soldiers Once with Mel Gibson. Okay. Now, I know uh, Rick Kopeck, the head of the Shelby Club, was in that unit. So oh, really? So he said that's fairly accurate from what, uh, you know, I mean, it's Hollywood, but a lot of that was fairly accurate, what what you saw on the screen. I didn't see that movie yet. Um, so that was a pretty good one, We Were Soldiers Once? Yeah. I think you'll enjoy that one. Okay. I mean, it, it breaks my heart because it tears me apart, you know, because you, you, you know, the, the characters and then some of them that get killed and stuff. And, 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 and that's got to be a terrible experience in itself, just losing a, a friend or a buddy. I lost a, a high school friend I knew fairly well in the Tet Offensive. And uh, of all things, he was a radio announcer for AFEN, Armed Forces Radio Vietnam. And he was uh, the radio station uh, up in Wade. And uh, when the Tet Offensive came, they, uh, the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong, you know, they invaded Way, and they walked right into the uh, radio station there and shot him. I mean, here's a guy, you know, basically is a is a disc jockey, and he was killed, you know, the first day of the Tet Offensive. You, know, you, you don't know. There was no safe place. Another place, you go to a restaurant, and some little girl would come in there with a grenade in her, and she'd blow up the place. You know, it's just, it was more than just the mud and the blood. It was just, they were everywhere. What was uh, what other close calls did you have? Do you want to talk about any of this stuff? Uh, I was uh, towards the end. I had some better duty to get me out of the mud. Uh, I was supplying uh, munitions to our allies, to the uh, the Australians and the, uh, the the Thai. There's some Thai forces. They were the Queen's Cobra Division. Very nice bunch of guys. They, even I still have their belt buckle that they gave me. Uh, the the Australians were funny. I would save all our uh, sea rations, uh, the dried, gaggy stuff they would give us in the sea rations for cocoa. The Australians, for whatever reasons, loved it. Uh, let's see, uh, Rocks, Republic of, of Korea, and uh, I supplied them with munitions. I was in uh, ammo and munitions, so that was pretty good duty there. And that was, uh, you know, I didn't get shot at as much. Well, we were in a convoy once, and I was just riding in a five-ton truck. And uh, we're just, you know, keeping an eye on the road, and a, a bullet went through the mirror next to my, right outside the door. So you, you're never safe. You just never know. All of a sudden, you're there, and bang, the, the mirror is gone, there's a hole. You know, another, uh, what, eight inches away, and it would have been my ear or my ear, my eye. So it's just, it, it's the luck of, the fickle finger of fate, I guess it is. Wow, that's just scary stuff. How did you feel about the equipment that they gave you to use? I mean, how, I mean, you always hear the stories about you know the you you you, you know it, it it you weren't you were too hot you were too cold uh, your guns jammed uh, you didn't have enough ammo. Give us some share some thoughts on that. 
or some stories. I yeah, I didn't have a real problems. I went over there. I was still using an M14, you know, which is the old standby, and then we switched over to M- M16s when I first got there. I never had any real problem. Uh, you have to keep them clean, but you know, it rained and monsoon. It rained all the time. It rained like you wouldn't believe, and everything is is lateritic soil, which is like clay, and it gets everywhere. So you just you got to keep your equipment. Was, I had no problem. I could get anything I wanted, uh, munitions, uh, boots. Uh, it wasn't a, wasn't a shortage. Uh, the, I felt sorry for the Marines that were there. I mean, those poor guys. They're using helicopters from the Korean War yet. You know, they they always seem to be lacking the good stuff. Oh, that's a shame. The uh, M14 and the M16 were both those uh, 22 caliber guns. No, the M14 uh, was. Uh, I think that's a, like a 308 or 30 out six. I think. Oh, really? It's a bigger round, yeah. The M the M fifty or the M sixteen is two two three, which is basically a twenty two with a a bigger powder powder charge, you know. Okay. Supersonic, yeah. Then uh, and then the guys that you fought against, what did they use? AK forty seven is mostly Chi Coms, Soviet, Yugoslav, uh, Chinese. They were made any any Soviet bloc company made AK forty sevens. Okay. The uh, the uh, the guys that were there. Did you ever? Did you? Uh, you were, were you on the ground all the time? Were you ever in the rivers that were you know on boats or anything like that? No, I went through training to be in the riverine forces, but thank God I never I never ended up on the rivers. I was either on the ground or in helicopters. Okay, so helicopters now is uh, the one that comes to mind is the the Huey the Hughes. So th- was that a, a really impressive helicopter back in the day? Yeah, I guess at the time they were fairly new, and it was a workhorse. You know, it was it was the Volkswagen of helicopters. I mean, there were I don't know how many thousands of them we lost over there. They were everywhere. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh huh. And but they got you in and got you out, didn't they? Pretty much, yeah. They were they were pretty tough. They could take a good hit for the most part. Uh, and they're great pilots in those days. Some of these young guys, I mean, they were my age. I was, what, 19, I think. Some of these pilots are my age or even younger. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, the good ones were the best. You know, they, they, they hung around. So That's good. Any other particular story you want to share with us? You know, something out there. Anything you want to say that, you you know, if you if you had a chance to say something, what would it be? Uh, I was going to say, towards the end, the Caterpillar Tractor Company came up with this device, a big machine. It looked like a three-wheel, like a, like a hot wheel. I mean, you know, these big wheels for little kids. Yeah. And the, the thing was three stories high. The operator sat up in his, in his tower, and the wheels were like giant garbage cans with blades on them. And instead of you spraying the Agent Orange, they would drive these through the jungle, and it would cut a swath. It would knock every tree and shrub down and cut it into chunks. It was absolutely amazing. I've got pictures of them. And I've never heard a thing about those things. It was, I don't know how many they built. It was just one, but it was just truly amazing. Talk about American uh, technology. Really? And it was built by Caterpillar? Caterpillar Tractor, yeah. Did, what was it called? I think it was called a tree crusher. Tree crusher, really? So it would just uh-huh. move forwards? And it yeah, was, it was, go ahead, yeah, I'm sorry. it was like a three, three-legged. It was uh, two, two in the back and a big wheel in the front. And it would swivel. The front one would swivel. But the blade across, it was like, uh, you know, like octagonal-shaped blade with blades, or a wheel with blades on each point. And it would just rumble as it go forward. It would knock a tree down, and the weight of this machine would cut the tree into, into sections. There would just be nothing left. You could just walk right behind it. Wow. 
I just don't know whatever happened to it. Was that something that was used in the latter part of the war? It must have been used towards the end of 68 when I left. It was, they were just put one together, and they were testing it uh, in three-court in the middle of the, middle of the country. Interesting. How about POWs? You still think there's some over there? Yeah, you know, I hope there are not. But, uh, you know, there's still Americans over there. A lot of guys deserted and stayed there. You know, there's some that made history in, in the past. I'm sure there are still some there. The Vietnamese wives and kids, you know, they were there. Hmm. Interesting. How do you feel? Matter of fact, I'm I'm going back there in January, so I hope there's statute of limitations is over. I'm taking a cruise over there in January, so I'll let you know. <laughs> okay. Well, now that that was my next question. Actually, more towards my my last question is, how do you feel about what went through there? How we fought those guys? That was the enemy, and here we are. We're now we're buddies with everybody over there. Does that bother you? Yeah, I bought a shirt here. I think last Christmas, made in Vietnam, and it's just kind of you know. Okay, I mean, I know it's just. Uh, the kids over there, the people over there, they're all they're all younger. They don't remember the war. You know, it was 50 years ago. So I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, it's a communist country, and yeah, I don't know. It's it's uh, kind of a bitter pill sometimes. Interesting. Well, you're going to have a trip over there in January, so I wish you the best of luck. Uh, besides, you'll be at the Shelby thing next. Uh, what are we? Where are, next Shelby meets when? Is it May of next year, or is it in July or August? Yeah, I think it's in Ohio, if I remember correctly, last I heard. Ohio? Oh, really? Ohio? So that would be, what, Mid-Ohio Racetrack, maybe? Yeah, I believe that's, I heard that. That's tentative. I don't know the dates yet. That was tentative last I heard. Well, that would be kind of cool, because that's right down the street from you. I mean, well, two states yeah. down, right? Yeah, it's not yeah. that far. Yeah. Safe that's, drive, yeah. Okay. Well, Ken, I want to thank you very much for, uh, you know, hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Radio and Cars and talking a little bit about Shelby's and Cobra's and, and Vietnam. And, and, and my hat's off to you. Thank you for your service. Uh, happy Veterans Day. Hang in there and uh, enjoy your trip to Vietnam in, in, the, in the winter, I guess you would call it. And then I'll definitely be in touch, and we'll see you uh, for sure at SAC. Thank you, Robert, and uh, the best to you, too. It was good to see you this summer. All right. Take care. Yep, I know. All right. Take care. Anyway, uh, okay, we're back. Bobby, what do you got for us queued up? Anything kind of cool? Um, we, do we want to listen to the one of the clips? Yeah, uh, let's play from the one from the platoon oh, I, know ending, we, I, knew, I know what we need to do real quick. Let's do a Speed Culture Events Minute. Absolutely. Okay? So, hey, you know about our brand new Speed Culture app? It's available now on, was it? Google Play. And it won't be long. It'll be on Apple. And we'll let you know. You'll hear it here first on Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Yeah, because this will tell you where all the car shows are. Be sure, if you have an Android, you can Google go to Google Play Store right now, right? You can download it. But anyway, I'm on the website. The website is called speedcultureapp.com. This weekend, let me give you a rundown. you got the HSR 24-hour classic. You've got Test and Tune uh, downtown Clearwater, I shouldn't say downtown Clearwater. It's out of the speed, at the tra- racetrack right there. Sunshine, uh, da, 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 what's it Showtime called? Speedway in Pinellas Park, because that's that's what Robert wa- Yo- Yoho wants us to say. Robert, Pinellas Park. Yeah, <laughs> Pinellas Park. Right. Okay. And then of course we have the Fall Florida Auto Fest with special guest appearance by the bandit himself, Burt Reynolds, at Lakeland at the uh, Sun and Fun Complex in Lakeland. That's at the Linder Airport area. Okay. We've got uh, the, what else is going on this weekend? Oh, yeah, we got the uh, Winter Park Concourses this weekend. And then, of course, the usual shows. you got Quaker Steak on Thursday night in Kissimmee. And, uh, and Rib Fest in St. Pete. And Rib Fest in St. Pete. So the all, America, yep, go ahead. all this good stuff you can find on the Speed Culture Events app, okay? So be sure to check out Speed Culture. Remember that name, Speed Culture. Bobby, go ahead and uh, let's roll them. Let's see what you got on there for us. Give me a medic. Go on, boy. 
というね I think now looking back we did not fight the enemy we fought ourselves and the enemy was in us the war is over for me now but it will always be there the rest of my days as I'm sure Elias will be fighting with Barnes for what Ra called possession of my soul there are times since I felt like a child born of those two fathers but be that as it may those of us who did make it have an obligation to build again to teach to others what we know and to try with what's left of our lives to find a goodness and meaning to this life Okay, we're back. Happy Veterans Day to all the men and women in uniform. I want to thank my special guest, Ken Young, and a good friend of mine for coming on the air tonight. In the meantime, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget to check out our show every Tuesday night between 7 and 8 p.m. here on the Town Talk Radio Network for the most fascinating and legendary names in motorsports. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreetMotorsports.com. If you missed any of our past shows, go to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget to like us on Nostalgic Radio and Cars and Gulfstream Motorsports. And we will see you at some of the car shows. And don't forget to check out the Speed Culture app. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. We chased our pleasures here. Dug our I don't mean to be telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. It broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDTF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You dumb cracker.